Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome, 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 welcome. Let's check the sound real quick. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, that sounds like me. <laughs> How's it going? How was your weekend? Welcome to uh, our first podcast, streamcast, talk show type thing here on the channel. Um, we're going to jump into it in a minute. First, I'm going to jump into Discord to talk to the guys who are joining me. All right, we're on. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> so we got uh, in Discord with us today, we got uh, one of my guildies from Classic WoW, uh, Rascal, and uh, y'all know Wicked Tricks. Um, we're going to be talking about cryptids today, both uh, cryptids local to us and some of our favorite cryptids. Uh, and of course, answering any questions or talking about anything you guys bring up in the chat and all that good shit. Um, first, we'll we'll get to know a little bit our guests. Uh, Wicked Tricks, everybody knows you for the most part. Uh, but um, what what we'll at least tell them what kind of uh, piques your interest about cryptids. What makes them interesting to you? Uh, are you a believer, a skeptic, somewhere in the middle, etc.? Well, I mean, it started back when I was in high school. I had an experience with, with, I guess, Bigfoot. Lord, um, good morning, lovely. And ever show. since then, it's always, I've always researched it and kind of followed the, I guess, the whole Bigfoot train. I guess you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> but you know, and all the time that I personally spent in the wilderness, in the woods, fishing and hunting, like in my entire life, I'm. And by mid thirties, I've only had one experience, but <clears throat> I guess I would say I'm on the, the train of, I want to believe kind of thing, but I wouldn't say that I'm a hundred percent a believer. I'm definitely not very much on the not believing train. So I'm in a weird position, I guess, when it comes to believing or not believing. So would you say you're open to it and excited about it, but you're not saying that it's 100% true? Right. I want it to be true. Let's put it that way. Okay. I'm in a similar position um, as far as that goes. Uh, I'm very open to it. I'm very excited about it. I love looking into it, but I'm not going to just take things at face value. I'm not just going to say they exist because I want them to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I've got to have the, I've got to have the body. I know that's bad, right? But right. like, there's got to be solid scientific evidence before I'll sit there and say, yes, this is it. Right. Gasshole, one hundred percent believes in ghosts. I believe in ghosts too, but we'll get into that on another podcast, uh, more so. Um, but that's a really cool conversation to have. How about you, Rascal? You want to say a few words of introduction and? Let us know uh, how you got into cryptids and where you stand on them. Sure. Uh, you know, I guess it really goes back to when I was a kid, uh, outing myself here a little bit, as far as age-wise, back in the, the 90s and stuff like that. Um, growing up in Southern California, you get a chance to meet um, some very interesting people. Uh, and it happened to be that uh, my dad was a... Uh, a roofing contractor and, and so you know uh interesting people need roofs uh put over their heads 
uh, just like everyone else. And uh, I used to go on jobs with him and kind of help out, like hand me the hammer, put this nail here, whatever. Um, and uh, he had a winning a bid for a guy uh, by the name of Dr. Hank Prassman. Uh, you can Google him. Uh, there's even some uh, chain emails left over. And he wrote a book uh, called The Secrets. Uh, I believe it's The Secrets to Life. It's out of print now. It wasn't a real long book, but Hank kind of was a was one of the last of the old school uh, adventures and kind of, I guess you could say, uh, seeking his own truth. Uh, he had a crystal skull. Um, he had a vault actually built into his house with a lot of stuff that he had collected over the years. Um, went to a lot of interesting sites down in South America, all over the place. And I guess, you know, I read that book and ever since then I kind of was into it, you know, and that the eighties and the nineties, I really consider like kind of the golden age for sightings because you didn't have, you know, the camera phones and everything else, but you had cameras, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and they started to get better and you start to have a lot of sightings and things like that. And I guess where I fall overall is I I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, too often I see a lot of investigations take place uh, with paranormal stuff or with cryptids and it's not treated like a legitimate investigation. Um, right. People aren't asking the right questions. And I guess I err more on the, there's probably a reasonable scientific reason, a, a, a way that I can explain, you know, what someone saw, etc. I am not obtuse to the idea of uh, certain cryptids. Um, but uh, I'm definitely uh, a little more, fo like, you know, a little more scully than, than Fox Mulder, you know what I'm saying? I hear you. I hear you. Um... Chat, what do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on cryptids? And, and to define cryptids for today's conversation, uh, there's the, the very focused definition of cryptids are uh, animals that have not been discovered yet. We're going for a more broad sense of the word cryptids today where it's you know animals or beings uh, that aren't, aren't uh, cataloged and categorized by modern science. Um, we're going to be talking about a few of them today. Uh, some local stuff to each of us and then some of our favorite cryptids. And uh, I encourage you guys in the chat to uh, to share yours, your uh, your favorites, your experiences if you have any. Uh, ask any questions, even, even voice your skepticism. Uh, we'd love to have that dialogue with you guys. Um, so, I, like I said before, I want... I, I want cryptids to be a lot of cryptids to be real because it's and it's interesting and fantastical and sometimes the uh, the apparent world around us the the world we absorb or observe is it's a downer a lot of the time and it's it can be very mundane and very trying and to think that there's still something uh extraordinary out there that we haven't found uh, could could distract me from those doldrums, and it, it can make the world a more vibrant and interesting place. So I hope for it. That said, a lot of the time my gut will tell me either somebody's lying or they're just not looking at all the facts around them, so 
it can be disproven what they're talking about. But those rare occasions where I'll hear a story, I'll, I'll see a recount of something, or I'll even notice something myself in, in my travels and in, in, in the, uh, the great outdoors that my gut doesn't dismiss. And that's when it's really exciting. And that's why I like talking about these things. And maybe, just maybe, if everybody stays interested in this and keeps looking, we'll find hard evidence and, and find new and interesting things. Because science is discovering new life all over the planet all the time, right? So why not one of these things? Uh, but some are still, what's that guess? What are you asking? Um, when I asked these guys to come up with a, a local cryptid, um, I'm from Ohio. I'm living in Georgia now. So I'm like, okay, I need to look around for Georgia cryptids. Cause I didn't grow up with the stories down here. Um, I just moved here well, a year and a half ago. Um, so I had, I had to do some looking and oddly, um, oh, someone's still, okay. I got you. I got you. Oddly, there's not a lot of cryptid stories in Georgia, except for three. One of them is Bigfoot, and Bigfoot is seemingly everywhere. And we're going to talk about Bigfoot today. I have a hard time talking about uh, cryptids and such without talking about Bigfoot. The other two um, were kind of, I wasn't expecting here in Georgia. One of them, my gut tells me, right out the gate, um, is like is 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 just not real, um, and if one day I find out I'm wrong, then sweet, because it's the Georgia Raptor. Have you guys heard about this? No. So it's a dinosaur I, that hangs out in Georgia. I have never yeah. heard of the Georgia Raptor. The Georgia Raptor. Um, apparently, uh, some guys, and it wasn't too long ago, uh, saw as they described. A raptor like from Jurassic Park in a field in Georgia, in middle Georgia. Um, they swear by it, but there's no other accounts. And it just seems a little a little too off for me. Um, let's see. Uh, Macha says, not sure if it counts as cryptid. I used to see vaguely humanoid shapes when I was little at night. There were two figures, one who I perceived to be an adult and another that looked like a child since it was smaller. They used to watch me when I was sleeping or trying to sleep. They didn't make any noise. They would just watch me and wave. When I got older, my father told me of similar things he experienced as a kid around the same age as I saw these things. He said it would range between humanoid shapes or a butterfly shape. That, um, to me, well, right off, it, it doesn't sound like a cryptid, but it does sound really interesting, and my, my, uh, kind of uh, European supernatural being catalog is flipped open here to uh, something to do maybe with uh, the Fae or land spirits like that. That's Aries. what that sounds like. <clears throat> Have you guys heard any uh, any stories about that? I know it's a little off topic, but we can uh, talk about it for a second. It sounds to me kind of like the the stories of the uh, the fairy people that watch children and stuff like that, it might tie into that. Or it could be, like, spiritual beings. Yeah. Different. Yeah, um, I have a buddy who, uh, is, uh, he, he spent a lot of time amongst, uh, 
the Lakota Sioux um, with uh, some of their medicine men. And he was very much into that side of things, um, fairies and stuff like that. And even going out and making offerings, um, he had standing stones, actually, uh, that were naturally occurring in his backyard and things like that. And what you're describing is very much something that his uh, his wife at the time uh, was was heavily into and actually really did talk about the uh, the the butterfly aspect of it um, making an appearance pretty frequently and and I guess you could call them her visions something like that um, generally speaking they're nothing you know according to him nothing to be alarmed about they're generally not malignant they're u- always usually more mischievous than anything else interesting yeah I've I've heard similar things um land like all 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 that to me gets defined under what I would call land whites or land spirits um a really really interesting uh rabbit hole to dive down for sure uh raptor would hunt humans uh are there any unknown animal attacks in Georgia um I mean some but a, a, a raptor like for one there wouldn't just be one raptor right there would be more of them and that's not while they are a stealthy hunter and scavenger um that's kind of a loud thing to happen you know what i mean i mean you uh, could also err on the side with the raptor thing that it could possibly be a scientific creation like a jurassic park type deal like some group got together some sort of experiment DNA, made an experiment yeah i mean that could be a plausible thing i guess i don't know i think it would almost have to be something like that um my friend who lives in jersey went walking around the forest where the jersey devil said to roam he was scared shitless not sure if we saw anything or heard anything um yet sometimes just the idea of a thing in an area can make people uh feel like an ominous presence like it it can make people feel stuff that they normally wouldn't feel just walking through regular woods just because they've heard stories. Um, and that can actually hamper investigation. Kind of psych themselves out. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a, a major psychological component to that. I used to hunt uh, pretty far up in uh, the north where I, where I am. And um, the place where I hunted was... Uh, very weird uh, it was a combination of like uh fir pine and uh a lot of new growth forest like poplar uh, and because it was right next to a creek if it happened to be that there were some temperature shifts you would get this really you know if you know anything about hunting you got to go early in the morning and then you're staying out usually you know, until late in the evening and you're walking back dark mm-hmm. and you're walking along these old logging trails and stuff like that. And this trail went through these really creepy, you know, uh, moss covered, you know, pine trees and, and then a fog, like a fog would, would settle like in amongst like these pine trees and you'd have to walk through it and you're like, Oh, <laughs> You yeah, know, I don't mess with and, your mind. 
Yeah, and up there, like, you know, we reintroduce the wolf population, and then the sun starts going down, you start hearing coyotes, and then you start hearing wolves, and you're like, oh, boy. You know, and suddenly, you know, you become very aware uh, <laughs> that you're alone <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, miles from any civilization, on an old logging trail. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, all right, one foot in front of the other. One foot. I don't even want to look around. One foot in front of the other. Yep. Keep on. Get the hell out of dodge. Keep on swimming. <laughs> Keep on. Uh, guess says that they couldn't. The raptor couldn't survive in a the swamp. They can't swim well. Yeah, any bipedal creature with relatively small footprint, like a raptor would have, would have a really hard time in the swamp. Um, well, let's also let's also consider the fact that your stereotypical velociraptor is not that big. Um, you know, the ones that you see in the movies and things like that, these, these huge raptors I'm, are more I'm, like a Utah raptor, you know? I'm really glad you brought that up because the, uh, they described it as a raptor like Jurassic Park. So right off the bat, it's kind of misnamed because the raptors, quote unquote, raptors in Jurassic Park were much more like the velociraptor's larger fucking uncle, Deinonychus. Deinonychus, um, yeah. They were very big. The, the actual velociraptors uh, would be f actually probably fine in the swamp because they're so light. Um, they're they're very bird like um, and much smaller. Uh, but that's a that's a dinosaur topic, which I'd love to talk about dinosaurs sometime. But that veers more and more off topic. So oh man, uh, I listen. I almost chose Mochilia membe as my uh, my uh, favorite. Nice, cryptid. nice. Out here, there's a lot of cryptid type things like Chupacabra or La Llorona, um, given our location. Uh, uh, La Llorona is more of a ghost thing, yeah. That's uh, the weeping woman that drowns children, uh, if I remember correctly. But the Chupacabra, the, the, the goat blood drinking mangy chihuahua of the southwest, uh, is very interesting. Um, a lot of the supposed chupacabra bodies people have found have turned out to be uh, dogs and other canids with mange and stuff. Um, yeah. and that's, that's not to say it's, it's disproven. It's just saying that those are not the bodies of a chupacabra. They're very, like, um, the, the regional lock on the chupacabra I find to be interesting. Um, actually, it, it makes me give it a little more of an open mind because there's some animals that are just very regionally locked and that copying that kind of uh, rings a little true for me. But I'm, I'm, I want to learn more about the Chupacabra. I want to know, is it also a native myth or is it purely uh, from, from after the Spanish... Right. Had already come in right so there's yeah. a lot more to know about it what have you guys heard yeah, about a, it? a migratory myth yeah yeah um see and now i'm on that spectrum where there yeah, might be a really simple that. answer to this um and uh you know things like uh weasels specifically will kill for fun of it you know they're mm -hmm. one of the only animals that will kill for sport right right and as far as i can recollect i believe that some weasels will do that 
they will like bite the jugular and they'll sit there and they'll you know lap the blood up and so i i wonder if there's not a reasonable explanation for this that if a some sort of canid like a coyote or something like that is not afflicted with a certain kind of disease if this doesn't alter its behavior perhaps and it's and it's uh pred you know it's predations right you know um it's it's kind of like the old uh thing of uh you know pregnant women um having strange and bizarre off the wall cravings like all of a sudden they're eating like pickles and ice cream mm -hmm. you know stuff like that so yeah. it almost makes me wonder if that's not the, the simple answer that you know that's not what this thing's craving there we go right right yeah, I guess well, a cat with mange wouldn't be too shocking for me. Like any any creature about that size with mange slash rabies or what have you, uh, would would likely fit the bill. Um, for the chupacabra. Um. Okay. So yeah. So the raptor, like I said, the Georgia raptor wasn't something that I was buying. Um, it didn't strike true to me, and that's our. It's you know, it's subjective. It's a gut feeling. Um, so absolutely guys feel free look into it if you're interested about the Georgia Raptor but that is actually not the one I wanted to choose not the one I went with um, for my local cryptid even though we ended up talking about it anyway um, my local cryptid is one that, that really surprised me but not in the I 100% disbelieve it way and that is uh, the Altamahaha Sea Monster or Alti of the Georgia coast. Um, globally, there's all kinds of, of, of stories about these kind of uh, water dinosaur type monsters from Champy and Lake Champlain to you know, the mother of them all, it seems, the Loch Ness Monster, um, which... I'm sadly on the side of the Loch Ness Monster being a hoax, uh, but that doesn't to me then say all of similar ones are a hoax, but we can get to that if we want later. Um, but apparently there was one in Georgia, probably an hour away from me, actually. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit about um, Alti here from uh, the Explore Southern History site. Um, so the mysterious uh, Altamahaha is a river or sea monster that some say live in the coastal marshes and twisting channels around the mouth of the Altamaha River. Um, it's often seen in areas around Darien and Butler Island in Georgia. A popular part of the culture and folklore of coastal Georgia is uh, it's one of the most often cited monsters in North America, apparently. Um, the stories of it uh, date back to the natives in the area, but more interestingly, when it comes to the to the Loch Ness monster, is that uh, the areas of Darien uh, were founded by Scott Highlanders from the shores of Loch Ness in Scotland. I don't know if that makes it more interesting or takes away from it, but there it is. Um, the exact nature of Alti is as mysterious as the domain in which it lives. Some, of course, say it is some, nothing but floating logs, masses of vegetation of uh, no marine creatures. Believers, however, tell of a 30-foot-long animal with flippers like a seal. Uh, it made national headlines in 1981 uh, when 
Larry Gwynn reported seeing the creature while fishing with his friend Stephen Wilson. They said it had two big humps about five feet apart and left behind a wake like that of a speedboat. Uh, the article goes on to say a couple more sightings just like that. Uh, one in particular, um, uh, the primary witness was a Captain Delano of the schooner Eagle who saw a monster off St. Simon's Island below the mouth of the Altamaha. He uh, his his quote was, uh, he repeated the particular, particulars precisely, describing the animal he saw as being about 70 feet long and its circumference about that of a sugar hogshead moving with its head shaped like an alligator's about 8 feet out of the water. A hogshead is a, a big barrel or cask. Um, the sightings reported in 1981 are very similar to those appearing in 1830. Uh, five men on the schooner also saw a number of uh, planters from St. Simon's Island told correspondents that they had seen something strange as well. Okay, so several other people in the area said they saw something strange as well. Um, it appeared in St. Simon's Sound that year and was viewed through telescopes over a period of several weeks. So, sea monsters. I think a lot of these are probably big fish. Like in this case, probably it could be a, a large gar um, or something to that effect. Um, and my reason for thinking that in, in such systems as like a lake typically is because there's nowhere for that thing to go. So the likelihood of it being discovered, especially after it's died, goes up a little bit. What makes this case more interesting to me is it's in rivers and and among the islands right there on the coast. So it can go upriver, downriver, into the ocean, anywhere. Um, so it makes it more interesting to me in, in that regard. I would make um hey, what's up, ninth pond? Uh one hundred percent real pot of manatees. Manatees is another possibility. Um I don't think, right now I think this is a cool story. I think it's probably a gar. I think it's probably, it could be manatees. Um, but because it can come and go over vast distances, it doesn't shut it down to me like it does, like the Georgia Raptor. What do you guys think? And when were the, the first uh, recorded sightings of this? 1830. Yeah. Now, we have to remember that, you know, that long ago, some animals may have had a, a greater range than others and things like that. But uh, people see things in the moment, especially if they spook something out. You know, gar can be a very, very uh, big fish. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I could see, you know, they also can, you know, hunt in the shallows. You know, mm -hmm. and if something like you, you scared one of those up or spooked it, one that was big enough and it, you know, kind of hit the juice and started swimming away, you could see to where its snout might raise up out of the water and it would leave, you know, a considerable wake. I mean, I've seen gar that are like over six feet long. So, sure. yeah, um, that would personally be my take on it. Yes. What do you think, Wigan? Thanks for the sub, by the way. Yeah, um, 
I think when it comes to the sea monsters in general, like we don't have to specifically talk about the one you're talking about. I think they're all rooted in basically they're rooted in some kind of like people people saw something, right? Mm-hmm. And what that something was is what you could actually debate what it is and what it's not. It's just that there's so many reports over I don't know. Man's been on the ocean for, I don't know, a long time. And all these reports are consistent and they happen all the time. And we find that the the bottom of the ocean is basically unexplored by humans. Like we started looking, but what we know the bottom of the ocean, we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, Ninth Pond was just saying that, absolutely. And I I think that I'd say 99% of the, the cases are misidentifications, right? They're fish that we know of, there's scenarios, weather's important, fog plays into the fact, uh, the person's mental health, the, the event that they're in. But I, I think for reals, though, there's that 1% of those experiences that were probably actually an undiscovered something an undiscovered species of some sort right possible yet improbable yeah it's not likely but yeah i mean look at how long they said the giant squid were a thing you know right that's true that is so true and then that guy in japan went and made the squid cam right the old squid got it on the you know, yeah. we got that scientific proof. Right, right. And a lot of these places I'm, where, in Ulti's case, where it's being cited isn't heavily populated areas. It's abandoned rice fields. It's parts of the river where nothing's built along because it's all, you know, you can't really build on that land. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like there's people there every day that could possibly see such things. So it it could maybe be something undiscovered. However, it's likely, I think, that it's a it's gar or, or mantis, yep. right? Yep. Uh, Ninth Pond says he grew up around fishermen on the Florida coast, guys who went out there every single day. A lot of them had stories about weird stuff out there, and there were things they had personally seen. Um, there's something about the water, right, that it it inspires the imagination. It When you're seeing the same thing for so long the surface of that water any any change can seem way bigger than it actually is and way different like it there's a lot of of mind tricks going on in that um on that same note again giant squid and stuff there's the possibilities of stuff being there but we cannot cannot ignore the fact that it can play tricks on your mind at least that's my thought Yeah, um, as someone that's swam in, you know, in the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean and the Great Lakes, you know, there's a factor of that, like, as you always think about, uh, you know, sharks and stuff like that and kind of what lies beneath, you know, when you're out there, you know, in the middle of the ocean and uh, it's you in that boat, you become 
supremely aware of how alone you really are and uh you know keeping in mind that we really haven't been traversing the world's oceans under motor power for that long uh right. you know it's been we've been kind of at the 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 mercy of the winds so to speak uh for quite a long time and i think that there's something very primal um about being kind of at the mercy i mean you are at the ultimate mercy of nature when you're on the open ocean and uh even when swimming in the great lakes because you know if you get far enough out there uh number one you're not going to want to swim in them they're just they're just too cold even in the summer um you know but it's a large body of open water even though it's fresh water right right um but you still hear those stories about you know the, that series of shark attacks that happened i think want to say it was the 1920s um along the river on the east coast that happened really far inland in you know, jersey they the the, the bull the bull sharks mm -hmm. um are able to you know traverse into fresh water and you think you know like what if you know i'm sitting here dangling and treading water in the middle of you know uh lake superior or something like that like ugh. yeah you know and that that whole those bodies of water have their own kind of gravity to them you know right yeah absolutely so, yeah. Uh, Fear says, plays into a lot about what you see, too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, Autumn says, dehydration is something that could play a part in seeing different things as well. That's true. Um, Ninth Pond says, some of some of that was directly tied to the amount of alcohol they consumed out there. But a lot of the other stories came from more reliable fishermen. In a sea of tall tales, there's bound to be some, some true stories. Uh, that's I can't be convinced otherwise. Uh, someone caught a small bull shark in Cuyahoga River two years ago. I'm not incredibly surprised there. Um, bull sharks are crazy. They they can they've been known to swim all the way up the Mississippi too. It's crazy. All the way to the Ohio River. There's been bull oh, yeah. sharks caught in Cincinnati. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're vicious you know, little fuckers. And I can't remember who it was that decided to traverse the. Uh, was it? I th it might have been. Um, uh, Contiki, I, be I believe that it was like kind of like a a very primitive form of you know traveling the open water, where they would have to basically sleep under the stars, you know, on this this boat. If you want to really call it that, and they would talk about stuff that would like come up the surface of the water, like whales, you know, in the evening, and then at night, like stuff that had like bioluminescence, and you know, you get the feeling he's probably talking about those giant squid and stuff like that. But if you think about that, you know, you're a piece of, you know, to them, to these, whatever these critters are, you know, uh, you're like a piece of flotsam, you know, and they'll just go and, you know, check it out. Like, hmm, what is this thing that's in my natural, you know, domain and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, the water's a very primal place and uh, you are just so supremely aware on, a, on any large body of water, whether it's not the Mississippi, the Great Lakes, any of the oceans or seas, that uh, you are so minuscule mm -hmm. in the uh, hierarchy of things. Yeah. It, even even the lap and motion of the waves can almost be hypnotic as well. 
uh, which definitely can play into tricking your mind. Uh, like Ninth Punch says, it can it can uh, mesmerize you almost, um, causing hallucinations, which adds to all the craziness. And just just the there, I don't think there's a, a a person on the planet that thinks that they know everything about what's under the water, and the fear of the unknown is instinctual in, in all human beings, um, like at at the core of things. So. I think that that plays a large part in any any water sign, sightings as well. Uh, uh, but hey, yeah. man, uh, uh, you never know. It's 2020, so uh, there's still hope for uh, Cthulhu yet. Yeah, <laughs> sleeping in his tomb in Ryloth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, Lovecraftian old guys. F the ocean, says Macha. Macha. Is uh is not a fan of the ocean and uh, World of Warcraft and uh, I think Cataclysm is when the 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 um, whale sharks came out. Somehow she got killed by one of the whale sharks, and that just cemented her her hatred of the deep. <laughs> Poor girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of whale sharks, I actually got to swim with a whale shark, um, and. Uh... It's kind of cool, but overall, I wouldn't recommend it. A little bit boring. Well, um, funny you should <laughs> mention swimming with the whale sharks. Uh, last year was Blonde Solo's 40th birthday. So I took her to the Atlanta Aquarium and got her the package where she could snorkel in the big tank with the, the manta rays and the, and the whale sharks and everything. And she loved it. Of course, it was, it was calm and it was, you know, she's basically just swimming at the surface of the water, but she got to be real close to creatures she adores she loves the ocean um and one of them one of the whale sharks actually rubbed against her as it swam underneath there and she was tickled about that we got some really good pictures uh so for some people it's quite the experience but it's not the the crazy action-packed excitement that some people would think of swimming with the shark um fucker snuck up on you you're wearing your cthulhu stuff nice uh, I'm not a beach person, but there's something about sailing a boat and losing sight of the land that really calms me down. Um, I I like the water. Uh, the beach is only good for me because I can fish off of it. It's not the actual, I want to go to the beach and hang out at the beach. No. If I go there, I want to fish. But I love being on the water. I love the feel of the water. I love that power coming at me. It's like, like Njord himself is making his presence known to me, and it's very spiritual. Um, the only water animal I want to swim with is a manatee. Your people, big old sea cows, they're wonderful and and gentle beasts, but they imagine swimming in a puddle of cow shit because that's what swimming with manatees is, is like. Exactly, because they are constantly shitting giant piles just like a cow. Oddly, people confuse them for mermaids, and I still don't get that. I guess it's some of that, that sea delirium that oh, we were talking about. That that rum, you mean? Yeah, the rum probably helped. Them rum know, goggles. Speaking of mermaids, did you know that uh, lobsters are just mermaids for scorpions? Wow. Uh, um, uh, well, besides manatees, too, uh, I guess beluga whales. Okay. Yeah, I just saw a video um, of somebody playing catch with the beluga whale. Yeah, well, they're really smart, it turns out. Um, and, 
they uh the way their um muscular structure is set up if they you could see to where if you were a sailor that had fallen in the water you know or something like that or you were a distance um the if they present the right profile the way their muscle system is set up and they flex and go to swim it will actually look um kind of like they have legs Oh, okay. it, it sounds weird, but you can Google uh, a picture of it, and uh, I think it's either a beluga whale or a pilot whale, and I can't remember which. Sounds super but anyway, yeah, I saw it, and I was like, you know, dang, I was like, I, I could, you know, I could see it if you were a little, you know, had a little too much grog that day, or, <laughs> you know, uh, or what have you, uh, you, you could see it, like, okay. like, a legitimate you know mistake i guess uh but yeah cool all right i think we uh we covered as much as we could about uh alti and and similar sea cryptid sightings so uh if we want to move on uh who wants to give me a uh their local cryptid who wants to go next uh, I, uh, I can, I can do that. Cool. So for this one, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to go all the way to Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Uh, Elkhorn, Wisconsin, for a little bit of background, is kind of a rural, uh, farming town. It's got one main drag. You might even call it Id- idyllic, I guess, kind of. Your your quintessential stereotypical small, t- you know, with your general store and your pharmacy. Um, they have bears there, and uh, they have a local kind of uh, local cryptid, and it's referred to commonly as the Beast of uh, Bray Road, uh, Man Wolf, uh, Wolf Bear, a couple other names. Now, they say that the first sightings go back all the way to around 1936. Um, uh, there were a couple accounts of this like, that I could find going back even into the 1880s, but very loosely. But the oldest, the oldest account that we have is, they say, is from 1936. It's actually not true. Um, it's actually a second-hand story, a uh, second- or third-hand story uh, about being told by a grandson. Uh, and the grandson is telling uh, the story that his grandfather told it. You know, so we're a couple generations removed. But uh, Bray Road is a long country road out into rural Wisconsin, outside Milwaukee. Uh, there's not a lot of lampposts. It's mostly all farming fields uh, with new growth forest. Um, it gets quite, uh, you know, humid in Wisconsin, especially southern Wisconsin. And there are creeks all over the place and stuff like that. So the bulk of these stories actually started coming out in the early 90s. And uh, it was initially picked up by a uh, a reporter who believe it or not wrote a book on this 
and she is firmly in the camp that this is this is a real you know thing uh, and it's generally described as going on both two legs and four uh very much that stereotypical wolfman uh profile i guess you could call it mm-hmm. um and the reporter's name was Linda Godfrey, and she wrote a book, and the book is uh, called, I think it was like On the Trail of Wisconsin's Wolf Man or In Pursuit of the Beast of Bray Road. Um, ah, yes, uh, The Beast of Bray Road track, or Tailing Wisconsin's uh, Werewolf. And to this day, I've been to Bray Road personally, driven on at night, and um it it is eerie because like i said there are very few you know lamp posts and, and, and things like that and the ones that when i was there uh that are kind of before you really get far out on the bray road you know like sometimes that the light the street lights will start to yellow and turn orange over time mm-hmm. and so again you can imagine this thick fog that starts accumulating over this road, you know, with that, that orange yellow light shining down over it. You're kind of like, uh, uh, a little weird, you know, you start, it starts setting the, setting the mood, so to speak. Right. When you're, you're doing a little, uh, you know, monster hunting. Um, but kids to this day will still go out and they'll still look for this locally. You'll get a lot of people that drive out there. Um, and this woman, Linda Godfrey, this reporter, uh, she she took several sightings, you know, um, and stuff like that and was really convinced. Um, and it usually, you know, people equate it to Bigfoot, but again, it's more like, uh, again, that werewolf uh, style cryptid. And uh, it's it's reported to be as tall as, as seven feet standing um with a gray uh brown fur you know Mm -hmm. um and so you can uh there was actually a movie made um in 2018 um about it um it's not very good (laughs) (laughs) but you know if you're you know if you're into the b-horror movie you know you can check it out uh overall though you know uh it comes to be where you get a lot of these, these stories and things like that. And they start to, they start to have an influence on you. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you know, um, as far as asking the right questions, you know, you can be fooled or whatever. If you're asking leading questions, you're already like giving the person that you're asking the question an answer. You know what I'm saying? Cause that you're kind of telegraphing what you want them to hear. Right. And you know, it's stuff when I start seeing like from this account, right? Um, this guy, this guy's telling a story from when he's a child. Um, and uh, you start to see these just slight exaggerations in story. You know, like uh, we had a 140 pound Akita who, stu- who stood six foot on his hind legs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, so anyone that knows anything, um, a quick Google search away. Uh, Akitas don't get to 140 pounds without being incredibly obese. Right. You know, they're, they're not that big. So there's like, 
there's one little one and then there's you know this is in the 90s by the way this is taking place in the 90s and it's uh we had one of those old mega lights that had the power of a thousand candles oh right right okay well you know okay stuff like that and if it, it, it ticks the story ticks all of the classic you know it hits all the marks of all these previous statements that have been you know said you know you, you start to see stuff like that um but uh what is very uh funny <laughs> is oh boy uh let me see if i could just uh oh if i can find it here because uh there's um there's websites that you can go to to kind of go and check this stuff out and i'm going to warn you that it because elkhorn is a small town um the police take stuff pretty pretty seriously and here's just kind of a, a funny a funny review wait till the end i'm gonna read it this is a great local legend and visiting it provides some fun insight into the stories of dogmen terrorizing the midwest the road is definitely more populated than you might have been led to believe but it's a neat photo op nonetheless. Do be cautious if you visit after dark. We did, and the police were there in less than 10 minutes to ask us what we were up to. It didn't help that I was wearing a full body fur suit. <laughs> God. Really? Yeah. Um, Next level. I'm going to tell you guys, if you go out there, probably don't, uh, don't throw your full body fur suit on. It's not a, it's not a good look. Um, don't investigate you know, but, cryptids in a fursuit period yeah don't do that not, not a good idea um, you know but you, you see these stories right of, of werewolves kind of popping they pop up all, all over the place whether mm -hmm. or not you know you want to tie them into like you know the skinwalking thing or what have you um, you know that's, that's another thing but it is a fun local legend, and it's still kind of ongoing. There's been a few things on the History Channel where they're still looking for it. You know, it is also, you know, it is more populated, but it's also a lot of farmland and small standing woods. And, you know, so that's that's really about it. You know, take it for what you will. You know, the, the easy explanation is, is, you know, well, what stands on two legs that could possibly be around there? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is a black bear. Yeah. So... You imagine trucking along and stuff like that. Even in the uh, the early '90s and late '80s, it's probably going to be even less incorporated, less well lit. So imagine driving down this road uh, where the last of the lamp posts are, where they're yellowed and not that great, and there's a fog on the ground, and you see something on the edge of the road standing up, looking at you, and the headlights on your car hit the eyes on it, and they reflect, and you're like, ah, you know, that's that's uh. You know, that, that, that would kind of freak you out, I'd imagine. You sure. know, especially if you were <laughs> up or maybe uh, uh, partaking of the, perhaps the uh, the devil's lettuce. <laughs> a little, you know, or something like that. A little of the marijuana cigarettes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like a bear would make sense to me uh, in that regard. However, uh, I really enjoy the idea of shape-shifting cryptids because... What better way for them to not get caught is if they can then become something else. So like a werewolf or what have you, 
uh, which there are werewolf stories like you touched on in almost every culture. So that's intriguing in and of itself. Um, whether it's skinwalkers or more traditional werewolves or even the feral mental state of, of, uh, the, the French stories. Um, but the idea that maybe this, this beast of Bray road or whatever is, uh, is a farmer or a family that has this, this trait in them, uh, that they've kept secret forever. Like that's compelling to me and not something that I feel can just be flat out refuted. Um, but like I said, could be a bear. Perfectly plausible to be a bear. It could could be a bear. It could be a combination of things. Again, could be a coyote. Not going to be any any wolves that you know far south. You know, um, like I said, it could be a combination of two. Like someone sees a bear. Well, I saw something else. Okay, well, it's a coyote. Well, it ran across my hood, you know, and stuff like that, and I didn't get a good look at it. Uh, stuff like that. Um, the, uh, yeah, like the generational, you know, secret thing, uh, with, uh, shape-shifting, something like that. Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, there's some of that, I think, pretty much in, in every culture. In, in some form or another. Yeah. So, yeah, what do you hard think, to discount it, especially if they're hanging out. Right. Uh, the popular. Yeah, if they're hiding in plain sight, sorry. What do you think of all of it, Wicked? Uh, you know, the whole thing behind the 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 shapeshifters is it's so man, it's that lore has been around since like since humans have been telling stories. And locally, you know, you you wanna think, well, is this this tie into the supernatural or is this tie into the physical world? That's my problem with Bigfoot, like, and, you know, I'm not trying to get off topic of werewolf, but, like, the biggest thing with me and, and, and Bigfoot is, is if it exists in the forest as a giant ape, right, that would be the scientific view on it, we would have found it. I'm just saying, we would have found it. Especially in North America, maybe you know, in the Amazon or something like that, where it's not that explored or the population's very low. If it would, if, if if a giant ape existed in in North America, I'm I'm ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure we would have found it by now. So the only explanation that my brain starts going to is the fact that it, it's it's spiritual, interdimensional, or some other shit where it's able to avoid our detection. And werewolves are exactly the same thing because if there would have been a giant wolf man that's not supernatural, like some kind of hybrid or something, we would have found it by now. Just straight up. It would have been found. Somebody would have, some redneck in the middle of nowhere would have shot it and brought it in. Like it, it, it would have just happened. That, that's kind of how I view the whole werewolf Bigfoot thing. It has to be of the realm of the supernatural. See if it's if it's a sentient thinking more like we know of, of sentience, then I could see it evading because the deep woods are super deep. Um, but if it's just animalistic, the likelihood rises that it would just be found. So, but we can talk about Bigfoot a, a little bit later. Um, but yeah, 
great. Of course, if it's a true shapeshifter, right, it could mm. be human and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't discern that it was a werewolf. Right, right. And it, it, it definitely, if it, these sightings definitely fit the more like, you know, uh, these accounts, if they're to be believed, definitely fit the more sentient shapeshifter um, framework because no one's ever been attacked. You right. know, and once it's sighted, it takes off. It's just, it's gone. It has no interest in in kind of dealing with humans, you know? Yeah, no one to interact in any way. Yeah, no, no, not none at all. Cool. Yeah, like, the... Hey, direct me to your nearest uh, Taco Bell? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the Beast of Bray Road is one of the uh, the more known cryptids. Um like uh not quite as known as Sasquatch but but definitely has gotten some press uh so there's some cool stuff about it so viewers i urge you to dig in for yourself and uh and and make your own decision on uh what's presented to you uh but it it is a really cool story i was excited when i heard rascal was going to talk about it today um, especially large and dense forests. Here we have the Ocala forest where people have evaded authorities that are after them for years. Some, some woods, uh, less so where he's talking. Cause those are mainly new woods, like, uh, used to be pastures and prairies or whatever that have been replanted somewhat relatively recently. Uh, but some of the old woods, the deep woods, um, not even rednecks really go in there. And if they do, they're, they're not talking about what they're doing back there. Um, but yeah, there's, it's not quite as, as uncharted as say the bottom of the ocean, but there's definitely still some crooks and crannies and nooks in, yeah. in America that are, yeah, a, a lot of people don't understand that, um, Wisconsin specifically was, uh, old growth pine forest and Wisconsin was built on logging operations. So out of where I live alone, like I millions of square feet of pine were logged out and floated down river you know so you have to go really far north to see old growth pine so that's what we mean by uh you know new growth is what came in after um and uh, there's a place called lost lake uh in wisconsin where literally the the logging uh, operation burnt down and they only made it halfway around this crystal, and I mean crystal clear lake. It's a it's a sand bottom like crystal clear lake, and they stop, and it's it's really cool because half of it is new growth, and then the other half is old growth of these huge pine trees, you know, and it's wide open. It's it's completely different. There's not that thick underbrush except for the occasional fern and stuff like that and again that's like very primal and very cool to see what wisconsin would have looked like you know back you know before the turn of the century and stuff like that before it got stripped down yeah before it got stripped down yeah it's it's actually sad when you see it you're like man this is so much cooler than what we have around here yeah there's a whole different feel in old growth forests. No matter where you are, like there's this uh, natural kind of connective power in places like that uh, that I I just thrive on. And when I find it, I never want to leave. 
if you believe in such things, which I do. I'm not talking weapon-grade shades here, but I am talking about a, a natural, like, sense of vibration. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Untouched by machine. Right. Do we have anything else to talk about uh, the Beast of Bray Room? No, that's it. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, wicked. Uh, let's leave the Sasquatch for last. So the other cryptid you were looking to talk about today was? Uh, my my other crypt was Mothman. Um, I've done a lot of research on it over the years. I've been to Point Pleasant. I've been to the Mothman Museum. I've watched countless documentaries, and I've watched the movie, and it's really strange. And then here recently, I, I read a... Uh, article about a retired special ops uh, officer from that time period and he said that most of the sightings he believed were from their secret uh, operations in the area where they were wearing night vision goggles they were paratrooping into the area um, some interesting parallels I mean that doesn't explain all of the sightings or the premonitions and certain things like that that people had but the the majority of the sightings that I've that I've read over the years can a lot of them fall into the category of hysteria and or absolute just misidentification, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you if you have a bunch of your your local friends and neighbors reporting that they're seeing something, you're going to be much more inclined to see something as well, right? It's just human nature. Right. And it's it goes back like from my research the interesting things i find is the native americans in the ohio valley specifically the the point pleasant area and the marietta area these there's cultures of native americans there that are like date you know way back mm -hmm. and they've made huge mounds they have there's all, like i could talk several podcasts about that right but they had a a a, a native um, story and it talked about a, a bird and it was what we would call a phoenix right a huge bird like a pterodactyl or whatever and i think that the mothman ties into that that's what makes me root like these stories are much older than just like people saying like the mothman right Right. That area along the Ohio River has been, there's been stories of a ancient bird, a huge bird, a gigantic bird for, I mean, pretty much as long as man has been telling stories in that area. So, I mean, tens of thousands of years, maybe. Because um, you have places like the Serpent Mound, and they, you know, they've done excavations on the Serpent Mound, and they think it predates the pyramids. Hmm. Like we're talking five, six thousand BC now, with the Serpent Mount. So, people have been doing stuff in that area, the Ohio Ohio River Basin for, I don't know, longer than written history says for sure. And again, with the the whole Mothman thing, there's there's the physical thing where you see the creature. And then there's a whole lot of people that describe never seeing it, but having it in their head. 
like uh, dreams or vision states or uh, a lot of people have premonitions like dreams about the future and uh, that's kind of where I stem from like is it a is a pair is it paranormal is it a spiritual being is it a physical being is there a big half you know a giant moth flying around northern west, west Virginia like what what's actually going on yeah, I don't think uh, personally that the Mothman is that narrow view of a cryptid. I don't think it's an animal. Um, I think it's... Uh, before I dive into the rabbit hole with you of, of the Mothman and where that can lead, there's an interesting phenomenon that uh, the Mothman is part of outside of its local legend, um, and that is uh, the idea of harbingers. Um, in various places, uh, people have, have noticed, uh, cryptids or legendary creatures just before times of, of great catastrophe. Um, the Jersey, the, the Jersey devil is one of them actually, that some people say when it's, you cite the Jersey devil, something bad's going to happen. And it's really interesting that the Mothman happens to be one of these creatures, these harbingers of disaster. And that would, if that is true, like if that observance actually rings true with that idea, then to me it lends even more to it being either um, spiritual or well, not either. They, they could be both one and the same extra dimensional or spiritual uh rather than uh an animal like that we haven't identified yet does that make sense to y'all yeah that's basically what i i'm on the boat with <laughs> so go, going back to the uh the uh special uh, operations guy and uh wearing NVGs, are we suggesting that that's what people were seeing? Yeah, that's what he wrote in his book. Yeah, he definitely they were seeing said, paratroopers? Yeah, they were seeing paratroopers, uh, special forces, paratroopers in the area doing uh, basically just secret um, training exercises in the area, and you know, they, they there was some illustrations where they showed a paratrooper at night with the the goggles and the parachute, and it it does. I mean, if you're in a forested area and you're looking through the trees or along a dark road, it it looks like a great big freaking Mothman. It really does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was so what? Say how? Okay. <laughs> oh. I was gonna say how funny would it be if you know? Imagine one of those guys, right? You're you're a hunter or you're doing doing whatever it is that you do none of my business right in in those woods and um imagine you're you're strutting along through the the trees and one of those guys got hung up his shoot got hung up in the tree and he's like you know you're as two raluan and all of a sudden you look up there's this dark figure with nvgs on you know you know basically black uniform or very dark green probably at the time it's possible what they would have been wearing 
you know, with this big pluming thing, maybe there's a little bit of a breeze pluming out behind him, you know, because his chute is stuck up in the tree and he's just hanging there. You know, he doesn't have a real safe way to drop. So what do you do? Well, you either risk the drop and cut your chute or you, you know, have to wait for your buddies to come and get you out of the tree safely, you know, but imagine like looking up and seeing that in a tree, you know, that I that's going to freak pretty much anyone out. Right. Right. You know, unexpectedly. And I'm not going to ask a lot of questions whether or not I identify that as some commando doing secret squirrel stuff hanging in a tree. You know, I'm not asking, I'm not ha hanging around. I'm probably just running away, you know? And then, you know, you have the adrenaline factor kicking in. Uh, so, you know, you could see that that's, that's pretty plausible, actually. Um, Crazy, so, so what doesn't ring true for me with that is the sightings um, weren't just somebody walking through the woods. It was a car being chased by something that was flying along with them. It was uh, peering in the front windows and doors of a home. It was uh, on the bridge that eventually collapsed. Like, this isn't a place where uh, military personnel would do these behaviors or be chilling. Right. So that that's yeah. where it kind of loses some of its grip. What I'm saying, though, is that a lot of the, a lot of the sightings could be explained by that. Some of the signs, obviously yeah, okay. not things like chasing cars or peeking in people's houses or the whole premonitions thing, right? That that's out the window, right? Uh, I can give you a few instances why commandos might be hanging out around a, a bridge or uh, or peeking in through some windows. You know, uh. <laughs> Especially if you're running, you know, some sort of a covert training exercise in amongst the public and your idea is to maintain stealth and gauge the awareness of the public itself. Well, um, I can still make an argument for that, you know? Uh, like there's conjecture about such a thing happening, but there's not, like that's not something that's 100% proven to happen. Hey, remember MK Ultra though? Uh, well, they fly. They did flat out use like alien abductions as a uh, as an excuse as a cover. Fair I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's on it's on the table, right? Right. And it definitely gives a logical explanation, right, to a lot of the sightings. Oh sure, sure, absolutely. The and you know, there's the. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was. The, just... the thing is. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so the thing is with that is, like, we talked about, you know, how we view cryptids, right? Like, what is our belief? How are we going to believe in what? And this, this, this to me ties into that, because I can explain most of the Mothman stuff away with that explanation right there. Now, that's not all of it, and there's a lot more that goes into that with like Native American beliefs and other stories that are told. But in general, the sightings, you know, the majority of the sightings could be explained away by using that explanation. Gotcha. Okay. My guest was talking about needing to do, uh, do one of these on Moonville, Ohio. Is that the, the Moonville tunnel? Is that what you're talking about? 
Yeah. I, I have a lot of info on that too. And I've had personal experiences there too. I go <laughs> a couple of times each year. It's, it's very interesting. That'd be more for what the ghost cast. Um, it's definitely paranormal. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll hit that up. Um, so the Mothman also brings me into, uh, to other ideas of, of the extra dimensional kind of conversation, the spiritual conversation. Um, and these guys I've, I've told all of you, I've told about the, uh, the sh the mini series the ser well I guess it's not a mini series a show on uh, YouTube and Amazon Hellier, which if any of you guys from Hellier end up catching this awesome hey what's up um, we have a lot of varied opinions about that but there are some interesting things that I hadn't started really thinking about that came out in that show and that's the idea of um, extra dimensional beings communicating, interacting, and uh, influencing our world, our dimension. And uh, I really think the Mothman, if all that rings true, if all that is true, um, the Mothman has got to be a big a big part of that in that area. Um, it's right real close to Hellier and, and was it Somerset or whatever with the the goblins, the alien goblin type yep. things, um, the mammoth cave system, all that. That's a, a whole nother rabbit hole and a, and a can of worms that I would love to break open in more depth than we have time for today. But, uh, but all that's very interesting to me and it would make sense, um, for the Mothman to be one of these extra men, extra dimensional beings, uh, because, then it could be here sometimes and then not be here. So we can't track it down. And the other sightings, some more mundane sightings or whatever, could very well be these troopers or other tests or what have you. Um, so that's definitely something I want to look more into and in chat. If you have anything to add to that, I'd love to hear about that. Um, whole time, you have a first hand experience with MK Ultra. You have proof too. Oh, guess that's, that's intense. That is intense. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else about Mothman. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I want the lamp, brother. Give me the lamp. The lamp. Uh, I mean, I can give a little more. Uh, when I went to the museum, there's... Uh, there's a lot in the museum. It's really neat. Uh, they have a lot of the local newspapers that you can't really find without like really searching. You can't find a lot of that information on the internet because it was like local newspapers and back in the, you know, the sixties, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super interesting. They, of course they have a local documentary made, uh, you know different things like that as well so i mean there's a lot of neat stuff going on there but i've never had any kind of personal experience with mothman like i've not, i've not had any kind of visions or anything crazy like that but yeah the museum is kind of a research library for mothman ninth pond says yeah it is 
I got my T-shirt. I got a bumper sticker. You know, I got my picture taken with the Mothman, all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. Nice little bit of tourism for that town. Yeah. At the very least. Well, that oh. area in general, it's just not that town, but yeah, yeah right. for sure. Don't visit at night in moth suit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can't we can't confirm. stress enough. Do not investigate cryptids in costume. You're probably going to get shot. And I'm sorry, but that's kind of on you at that point. Right. Right. Especially, especially rural cryptids. Like, you get back into the backwoods and stuff. Like, it's a different world. And the the communities are cl- close, tight-knit, and usually a little xenophobic, um, to put it lightly. So, like, if yeah. you're just traipsing through the woods in, like, a Bigfoot suit, like... You're probably not coming out. Not a good idea. Poor safety choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uncomfortable. God. All right. So um, I think Wicked and I are going to be talking about the same personal favorite cryptid. So before we do that, um, Rascal, your your personal favorite cryptid that you want to talk about. You know, um... Again, not exactly a cryptid, but there's this has gone kind of into, uh, I guess, classification of like legendary, you know, creature, or uh, it is kind of like you know uh, trickled into popular culture. Uh, but it's the Wendigo. Uh, and for those that don't know, the Wendigo is a kind of a, a mythological creature uh, stemming from uh, northern Indian tribes in uh, northern Minnesota into Alberta, Canada. Uh, specifically, uh, we're talking about uh, this does go all the way to the, the Pacific Northwest to as well. Um, but we're talking, you know, the tribes we're talking about are the people that uh, speak Algonquin. So the Ojibwe, the Sultu, the Cree, the Nascapi, and the Inu. Um, all of those tribes. And there's there's several variations of this. Um, generally speaking, these always happen at, at winter. And I'm going to kind of actually give, you know, again, the supernatural side of it and the... The uh, the more scientific type. So in some instances, these are creatures that are uh, giants. Um, they come like with a, a snowstorm or a blizzard. Uh, they'll kind of be a, an amalgam style creature where sometimes they're bipedal or they're depicted with very long arms, short legs, some combination thereof. They'll have horns. They might have a bear's head, an elk's head, something like that. Um, but they are always associated with uh, winter and famine, right? And in all these tribes, it was the job of the medicine man to combat like these, the any of these supernatural creatures or beings. Okay, and there was also, you know, there's also versions of you know human. Uh, Wendigos as well, which are generally described as being like emaciated, feral, 
um, very pallid, things like that. Um, there is an actual uh, ritual. The last one that was performed uh, allegedly was um, up in northern uh, Minnesota, and there's a whole dance and that goes along with it. Um, but these uh, these go all the way. These go way way back. But some of the first recorded um, interactions go all the way back to the 1600s and involve a Jesuit priest giving his um, his account of uh, the human version of a Wendigo, which is a woman that was uh, very emaciated, uh, out of her mind, um, and cannibalistic. She had eaten, uh, I believe, a couple of her uh, of her family members, and again, this ties into that whole uh, deep winter famine um, kind of, you know, narrative. And you know, we're talking again about like northern Minnesota and and Canada, you know, where it does get very cold, right? Um, and we are you know uh, we have to go back um one of the big famous cases of this is the winter of 1878 okay and this takes place uh, around uh fort saskatchewan um which i believe if i recall correctly is outside edmonton canada and so. it yeah and uh it involves a man named swift runner uh, who ended up, uh, his son died, his eldest son died, and he ended up butchering and uh, eating the rest of his family. It was like four people all told, his wife and his other children. You know, and, and they were very, uh, the local community was very distraught over this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously, as they, they would be. Uh, this guy was uh, Swift Runner was uh executed at Fort Saskatchewan. He was he was killed. And um it, people were kind of questioning why, you know, he would have done this, um, especially because the Hudson Bay uh company, uh one of their posts out there, um and they would have had emergency food storage for the, the local area and he could have gotten it. You know, it's about twenty five miles away. And, you know, 25 miles, if you're living out in rural Alberta, you know, remember, this is not like hopping in your car and driving down the road. You know, uh, winters can get pretty brutal there. So I started looking, um, trying to find any sort of information about what the weather, what the winter would have been like in 1878. Now, I couldn't find anything particularly from Alberta, uh, but I did find... Um, Things all the way from the Twin Cities in Minnesota, which is, you know, south, but, you know, still relatively close as far as uh, weather goes. And that was actually considered the year, the winter without winter for like two years in a row. It was actually like the, the warmest at like the warmest winter on record. Hmm. Uh, believe it or not, it rained a lot. Um, but even in January, it it wasn't very cold, not like what it could be. Absolutely, at that period, you were talking well into the negatives, especially right. back then. But no, this was very much in the positives to where, you know, today you could 
theoretically, if you had a good logging trail and you know some good gear, you could you could make twenty five miles if you needed to go and get food or something like that. And certainly, if you had a horse, you could make it almost within a day, right. you know, with a well traveled uh, trail or road. So you know, uh, yeah, you know, and of course today we have lots of modern you know weather you know monitoring stuff, but I felt it was important to kind of like you know get that that uh try and find that information when i was researching this the next one happens in um 1907 and uh it's it involves a man by the name of jack fiddler who was an og Cree chief and medicine man and this guy was known for fighting wendigos right and remember this is well over 100 years ago now um, but they were also arrested for uh, homicide, um, for killing a person that uh, was alleged to be a Wendigo, a human Wendigo that engaged in, in cannibalism. Well, this led to something very interesting, and there's actually a phenomenon. It's a little, it's debated. It is debated, but there are official papers on this, like published papers, and the the phenomenon that happens is called Wendigo psychosis. And the strange thing about this is, is this really only happens to, uh, to people of that culture, the Algonquin uh, culture okay. in that region. You know, so as it's what came first, the chicken or the egg, because people are like, well, then mo more people that live in northern parts of the world should experience this phenomenon, but they don't. It's only happening from this culture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there's the people that say, well, yeah, it's going to happen less and less as time progresses because the Algonquin people are becoming, you know, fewer and fewer. You have global trade, you have more food resources, and this always centers around food scarcity, right? And it's kind of like a, an instance almost of like cabin fever, uh, fever. So, People sit there and they they kind of you know wonder what's going on, but like all throughout all you know the oral traditions of the Algonquin, they have these cases of these people going insane, or or a, a spirit has possessed them as, as they see it. People and they end up engaging in cannibalism, uh, and you know eating people, obviously. So it's very very uh, strange and very. Cobb uh, situations that this goes all the but it goes so far back and it keeps on happening and generally speaking the only way to deal with this is is homicide you know is to is to kill the person and there was one account of a woman actually being cured uh, oddly enough by drinking um, uh, bear fat and hmm. as we know uh, for someone that is incredibly you know malnourished. Uh, you know, again, long winter months. Um, you know, it was sorry, sorry, it wasn't a good good harvest. We we don't make it through the winter, um, or we didn't store up enough stores. But uh, bear fat is incredibly dense nutrition. You know, uh, you know, in a way to give yourself a, a big energy boost. So it's interesting that that is you know considered a, a cure. You know, a cure for for being a one to go, um, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's really about it. But very fascinating stuff that this is actually a psychosis, and it it really hasn't occurred since. But 
oddly enough, you know, there are serial killers that there was that, you know, Canadian serial killer that, you know, they suspect there's like 42 bodies buried on his property and he was, he was a cannibal, you know? So uh, that's kind of interesting as well, you know, that, that that would happen. Yeah. You know, maybe there's, there's something to it. I I don't know. Um, Speak on the fact, I don't think a lot of people understand the, the biological need for what's in and fats like that. Um, yeah. That, well, like, your brain is cholesterol. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, research done behind why humans got so much more intelligence than our cousins. And a lot of it ties down to uh, fat, fat intake your brain feeds off of fat. Like yeah. it's like fat, fat is like brain magic basically. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Ninth Pond says years ago, I had a friend who was born on a reserve in Ontario. She talked about Wendigo stories and how a lot of the stories stayed on the reserve because the people were kind of insular for the most part. Yeah. You definitely get that insular thing with, uh, with, well, anybody out in the middle of nowhere, but also, uh, uh, reservations like that, um, whether it's intended or not. Um, something that I found interesting about it being psychosis is I always like to find a way where the fantastical and science kind of come together. Uh, I I fully believe that today's science was the magic of yesteryear, that there is a relationship between magic and science. So I I, I give this possibility, this theory, that... Uh, the Wendigo condition uh, is spiritual possession in a way. And the way that manifests physically is a, is a mental or chemical imbalance triggering uh, these behaviors. Um, and that certain people seem more predisposed to it, like these certain tribes and what have you uh, back to the magical. Maybe that's that spirit cursing those people and it's reflected that spirit manipulated their genes to have this reaction to their influence. I think it's a cool. Right. You know, and I'll I'll read a description, right. uh, Real quick. uh, And reads as follows. The Wendigo was gaunt point of emaciation. It's desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bone with its bones, pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean, and suffering from suppuration of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Uh, you know, so the other thing is, is if you can imagine someone that's schizophrenic or something like that, um would have been considered, you know, possessed or, or something like that, or very, very standoffish from the rest of the tribe. Sometimes, you know, violent, we know that a lot of, you know, like the vast majority of people with mental illness are, are harmless, Mm -hmm. right? They're, they're not going to hurt you. There is that small portion. However, when you start acting funny, the tribe gets a little worried, you know what I'm saying? And the tribe can get standoffish towards that person. So that, you know, feeds into this right this person may run off or whatever or is in the throes of all these this mass hormonal imbalance and 
um, and their, their brain chemistry is all kinds of messed up. And you can imagine that if the person is in, has slipped into a, a deep, you know, form of psychosis, they're not going to be eating a lot in the first place, which is, you start getting a little loopy if you don't eat for, you know, a day. Yeah, I know I do. Um, imagine going two days, three days, your brain literally does, um, like we talked about, starts to literally eat itself and starts to, you know, and over a long period of time with enough malnutrition, you can give yourself brain damage. There's lots of cases of this, especially with uh, child abuse and things like that, mm-hmm. to where like their brain, especially in that developmental phase, isn't given the chance to uh, fully to develop. And even when they do start getting proper care and nutrition, that that's it. That that gap that the brain had to grow during that time period, done. You don't get that back. Right. And I remember studying this case of a small girl that was kept in this room by her mother for years, all the way, I believe, into her teenage years, until the police finally found her, had enough reports, and they basically you know, took her out of there. But she was something like 13 years old, uh, still wearing a diaper. And she was acting in this completely skittish, barrel manner and, and fit this description pretty well. You know, um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I firmly believe that no matter what these people did encounter this, um, and they did, uh, probably, uh, you know, believe whatever it was, uh, was an evil spirit. I guess you wouldn't really have much of a a way to know otherwise right if this was happening to you again we're talking about northern canada this is where the tribe is from right if it wasn't a good harvest foods lean or what have you the hunt wasn't good you know etc etc outside pressures whatever they may be um i I can see it you know and then this would pass into into legend and kind of you know be more of a, a boogeyman thing and again chicken versus the egg time of famine this creature you know, and it's again, it's warnings, right? Prepare for that long winter, my friend. You know, because it's it's coming. Yep. You know, you want to make sure that you're ready, and this is this is why you need to be. Right. Ninth Pond says probably why a lot of visions usually happen after fasting, and fasting is done to have visions. Yeah, that has a lot to do yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Wendigo. It's. A crazy one. It's, it's, it's to me more daunting than some cryptids because it's, it's something that would just happen to a person. It's not. This is something hiding in the in the bushes. This isn't something hiding in the woods or something. This is something that could happen to a just to a person that's in the wrong set of circumstances. Um, right. It did happen. Right. Exactly. You know, we have actual accounts of this. Yeah. Whether um, or not it's supernatural, that's up to debate, but there are people who this happened to. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so that's why it's very interesting. And again, uh, the, even the psychological aspect of it, um, there are papers on this and you can read them. They're published. 
Um, and it, it is very, uh, it's interesting stuff. And I would urge you to go and, and look at it. And it does uh, shed an interesting light on the history of how we dealt as a people and how we are dealing with, uh, with mental illness overall. Absolutely. A much broader conversation can be had from it, for sure. So, uh, Wicked, anything now more the... want to go? Um, no, I think you pretty much covered. What were you saying, Russell? No, I was, I, I was just going to say, like, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get to the, the, uh, the main course, so to speak. <laughs> the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, yeah. the, 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 the beast of many names, Ohio Grassman, Skunk Ape, like so many different names yeah. for the Bigfoot. The abominable snowman. Right? Oh, man, so many names. And the, the Yeti might be a Bigfoot, too. Like, I mean, come on. There's so many so many names for the, the, the idea of the Bigfoot. Um, uh, I think just about every state has Bigfoot stories uh, in one yeah, way or another. Um, they're the only, and I could com- be completely wrong, like, pretty much as... Europe is the only place I don't hear much about a Bigfoot like being. Um, yeah, because I've heard about stuff um, in Asia, uh, throughout Asia, um, mainly though in, uh, uh, was it Nepal? There's Yeti stuff. Yeah. It's the Himalayans. Um, right. Himalaya. Uh, Himalayans. Uh, Russia. Uh, I've heard about similar creatures in Africa. Um, you know, Australia as well. I don't think I've necessarily heard of it. No, no, I did. I did hear about something in Australia as well. Um, they call it the wild man in Australia. Yeah. They're Aborigines. Right. So just about everywhere except for, for Europe. And I'd love to hear that I'm wrong about that. Um, you found Bigfoot. He's on your screen. Nice guess. Um, there's a progressive commercial recently that makes me laugh where Flo calls him Bigfoot and he looks down at his feet and says, offendedly, my name is Daryl. <laughs> nice. Um, so the Bigfoot, a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of different school thoughts, thoughts of what Bigfoot is. Um, some say he's the missing link in evolution for us. Um, some say that he's just, um, another kind of ape some say he's he's its own thing entirely um i think the other ape idea the missing link is gigantopithecus which went extinct uh after humans were already civilizing but uh but still extinct so scientists say is an interesting idea they're apparently a very very smart great ape um and that was mainly in Asia, I think, is where Gigantopithecus was. Um, and then there's the ideas of it's more of a spiritual thing. Um, so there's a lot of different schools of thought, so to speak. There's a lot of people who say they are Bigfoot experts somehow, uh, which I always find interesting since it's not a proven thing that somebody can say, I'm an expert. Bigfoots do this. They eat this. They act like this as if it's absolute 100% fact. Um, uh, so 
my idea of Bigfoot um, is definitely more towards the the physical or the 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 metaphysical, the spiritual. Um, personally, um, but it I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if somebody someday found an actual physical ape species. Um, I just don't know that that's, that's what it is just because unless it was very sentient, like we were saying before and could specifically think, okay, I cannot be, we cannot be discovered because humans will kill us. So we have to hide. If it's not that I'm, I don't, put a lot of faith in the fact in it being like a like a, a different breed of gorilla or whatever i think it would have been found by now if it wasn't that so we can dig in deeper um after we all kind of say our our idea of what it could be so uh wicked uh i think you're in a similar position as me thinking it's more yeah I, I think it's i think it's metaphysical i think it's in it's interdimensional. It's yeah. spiritual. Um, I would be I would be really surprised if one day science put a put a Bigfoot on the slab. Like that would be shocking to me if that happened. I would you know I would I would be all right with that happening. Other than you know obviously they have to kill it, which I don't want to happen. But uh, maybe they find one that's already deceased or something cool like that. But. I would be thoroughly surprised if that ever happened because man, I've been in the backwoods of Kentucky. I lived in Kentucky for five years and these dudes, when they, when, and I don't want to like stereotype people, but when the people that I was around where I lived, when they wanted to get something, man, they got it. And a lot of them wanted Bigfoot and they never got it. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think, that that particular group of people when they put their mind to something like it happens absolutely and they never got a bigfoot <laughs> <laughs> well we'll put a marker on your time in kentucky too for some personal experience stories here in a, in a few but oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely oh, see that oh yeah uh what do you what do you think rascal <sighs> you know okay um you see these 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 sightings or whatever. We know now that a lot of the you know there's that very famous footage that eight mil the eight millimeter footage. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah, the Patterson films. Yeah, the Patterson films. Yeah, we know those are those are bunk. Um, yeah, they're they're bunk. Um, guy came out years ago and you know cop to it, and uh, it they they. They're st- they are still very, very good. And to me, like, Kentucky is a non-starter for a physical specimen. Uh, I'm I'm with Wigan on that. Um, I, I don't think that's happening. Um, you know, if you want to go to, like, some very remote areas, like, you know, interior Alaska or even the Pacific Northwest, you know, in the Cascades, um, there's the story of Ape Canyon, where a bunch of miners were holed up, you know, in a in a cabin, um, and they were supposedly assailed by a bunch of 
apes, uh, and I, I would call them probably Tasquatch or Bigfoots, you know, a, a tribe of them effectively hurling rocks and, and stones down this cabin, etc. And I actually found out that there was actually recently a, I, I guess, a, a research team that went out there and tried to find the remnants of that of that cabin, and they were successful. And uh, they found like the foundation and uh, some cookware and and stuff like that. So it definitely was there. Um, and this was reported, I believe, in like local newspapers and and stuff like that. So I mean, for me, a physical you know, specimen is not going to come out of the lower 50. It's just, it's not. It's going to have to come out of the Pacific Northwest, uh, interior Alaska, Canada, something like that. You know, Nepal and the Himalaya, Himalaya Mountains, you know, again, also very remote, but becoming less and less so because, you know, everyone and their brother is trying to summit Mount Everest and just walk up there. And there's a whole train of people and, you know, people die of, what was that? Was it hypoxia? Yeah. Uh, so often there's like a trail of bodies where they actually, the Nepalese government um, recently had to go up there and literally, you know, get rid of all the bodies and trash, yeah. you know? So the more and more people that we have in an area, the the less and less likely it is for this, this thing to be a, a physical manifestation uh, in my eyes. So if, but again, a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, civilizations and stuff like that have these, these stories that have a lot of parallels and it gets you thinking. And for me, I start wondering, you know, because we, we passed up down orally first mm-hmm. before we, we wrote it down. Right. Yep. And you have to think how far back that went, you know, and if it for me if it's conceivable right like that there were human tribes that were communicating in one fashion or another and they saw something like gigantolopithecus you know how is it is it possible that that, that's the story that they're telling you know that it's just been you know told in one iteration or another you know, for that long. I, I wonder about that. Is that a possibility? I don't know. I mean, is it a possibility? Absolutely. But is that the case? Right. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm unconvinced. Um, and as much as I would be like, you know, I, I want to say like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, there's a strong possibility that we get a physical specimen the more and more time goes on, the less and less likely it's, you know, right. so. Right. That makes sense. It's also compelling the idea of do all the stories we know have a common thread in an experience thousand years, thousands of years ago. That's an interesting concept to me. Um, Ninth Pond says they haven't been caught also implies to me that these creatures are able to cover their tracks, which is interesting in of itself. Yeah, that plays into my my thought of they'd have to be pretty sentient to be physical beings and not be caught by now. Um so yeah, I I do lean towards it being spiritual. As far as, as Kentucky though, the there's there's 
parts of the mountains of Kentucky that are just as isolated as as parts like way up north or what have you just because you can't get to them well uh and there's no reason for people to go there it's not a famous place like mount everest they're just really difficult to almost impossible during certain time of year places to get even the places where some people live in kentucky are i don't know why anybody built there i don't know why they're living there um, they don't like people. <laughs> that I can understand. But like when uh, my one of my personal experiences that I'm going to bring up um, was when Wicked Tricks was living up, living down there uh, up in the mountains. I went and visited him and it there was a, an ice storm that went through on the lower part of the mountain and I couldn't leave for a week. Like it's a crazy place. The mountains of Kentucky. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some species of animals that still haven't been discovered that'll one day be brought down out of those mountains is all I'm saying there. So would you agree with that? Just, or, uh, hundred percent. hundred percent. So my personal experience, my personal experience is, uh, it happened there on, on that chunk of mountain where wicked tricks was living. Um, and he lived, I don't want to, give too much of it away there's still people that live right around there not that anybody would really know them or whatever but it's up in the mountains and uh his the little section where he was at uh there's a family that lived there and there's a couple of trailers and some horse stalls and the closest little town was very very small like we're talking there was a gas station that had a subway there was one restaurant that was only open for part of the day and there was a little grocery store. That was about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like it was a speck <laughs> and he didn't even live in that town. He was up and away from that town. But, um, the, I think it was like the second night I was there. Uh, wicked was working, uh, down, down in town. Um, it was nighttime uh, it was wintry, um, and in the trailer, I was sitting in the trailer with everybody in there, um, and I kept, I, I heard something walk up on the porch, um, which was odd. Um, so I looked out the door, and I didn't, there's a little window in the door, and I, and I didn't see anything, um, so I went back, and then I, I heard, something around the front windows like tapping on the window uh so i went to the window and there was nothing at the window i'm like okay uh then i heard it at the door again and when i went to the door it looked like i saw something reaching down from the door um so i went and got uh it was actually my brother-in-law's shotgun just a single shot 12 gauge shotgun and went to open the door and nobody was around at all. Um, there was mush down snow everywhere. Um, there's no boot prints, no shoe prints. So there's definitely mush down like something was walking around. And um, it, it looked kind of like walking coming from the horse stalls and then back around the woods. It was dark. It was night. It was unfamiliar territory. So I didn't 
track it back further than the light would carry, but it definitely didn't come from any of the other trailers. It definitely wasn't boot prints. Um, the next day, I could see in the stalls, and, and Wicked later told me, that it looked like something was bedding in the stalls. There was definitely bits of, of, of hair and stuff. Um, but it, it wasn't a person. I know it wasn't a person, but I don't know what it was. My gut and my brain immediately went to Bigfoot, to Sasquatch. Uh, bear, maybe, but bears don't usually just tap on stuff. You know what I mean? They try to get in. They're pretty loud. Right. They're, they're, they, they make themselves, like, very well, like, I'm a bear, I'm here. Right. Uh, Ninth Pond says, I had a cabin in the North Georgia woods, and while it may have built up by now, back then people in the area thought nothing of having to drive 40-plus miles to get to Walmart, because it was the only place around. The nearest Walmart... To us wasn't even in Georgia, it was in North Carolina. Damn, yeah, that's pretty secluded. It was a big nope, that's right. At the very least, it was a big nope. So I found that to be compelling. Um, is there proof in that story? Absolutely not. Did I physically see it? No. Um, but I'm confident that it wasn't a person, I'm confident it wasn't a bear. So it keeps me uh interested, it keeps me excited. Um, there's various times I've gone hiking where I swear I saw some big bipedal something but i can't tell you that i saw it that's why i always say uh, that i i believe in the idea of bigfoot i love i want him to exist it's awesome but i can't tell you yes bigfoot exists um other stories are what makes me think it's spiritual a lot of native american stories like th that this could be an extra dimensional being a spirit that comes and go and interacts in our natural world has a place in that order uh that I, I I think is is the likely truth, and um, I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from that. So that's my experiences on Bigfoot. You got anything wicked? Uh, my first experience with what I think Bigfoot gets, and I'm gonna like let you guys know ahead of time, it gets really weird. Um, we're in the weird. I was weird as in the fact that. I tie it in with a UFO. Awesome. Okay. It, it gets really strange. Um, I was 17. Uh, my grandparents owned some property, uh, several acres, like, I don't know, 60 acres or so. And um, there was a the place where I live. It's called the Kyotas. It's an abandoned um coal mine where they did the, sh the hill strip mining uh, procedure where they just, they didn't dig into the earth. They just lopped off the top of the mountain or top of the hill mm -hmm. and got the coal. Strip mining is what they call it. And yep. um, this area was the remnants of that from, I believe, the 50s. And it's a really nice area. It's reforested. Um, there's a lot of fresh forest there. There's uh, quite a few of really nice uh, leftover mining ponds that are really clean, that are full of uh, panfish and beavers and all kinds of really nice stuff. I spent the better part of 10 years growing up in these woods. Like, I went there every weekend, pretty much every weekend for the time I was seven to the time I was like 20, 22, 23, something like that. And 
I, I spent countless, countless hours in these woods. And I knew them. I knew where every pond was. I knew where every hill was. I knew where every grapevine was. I knew where every mushroom spot was. Like, I knew where all the sassafras was. I knew where all the ginseng was. Like, I knew this place absolutely, unequivocally, like the back of my hand. Like, I can't explain to you how well I knew this area. And we had a particular camping spot. Hold on just a second. I had this one particular camping spot that we used hundreds of times over a 10-year period, like hundreds and hundreds of times. It was situated in between two really big beaver ponds, far enough away from the ponds where the beavers wouldn't bother you. And by the way, beavers can be very nasty, vile creatures. Just letting you know that right now. <laughs> Just okay. put that out there. They are very aggressive. But anyway, um, and we had it set up. We had a fire pit. We had places where the ground was clean and dry so you could put our tents on it. Like we'd used it, like I said, hundreds of times. Now, this particular night, um, we we planned to have it. I was with a group of people, uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time, a couple of my really close friends. There were There was five of us. And we had camped in this spot so many different times. And we, we, we schooled that out on Friday. We, we packed up the, the van and we headed out. We had the, you know, all the equipment, camping gear and stuff. And just also to say there was no alcohol involved in this trip. Nobody was drinking. There was no drugs. Nobody was doing anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And we got out, we got out late. It was starting to get dark. So I got the tents up. We got a campfire set up and we, we were going to cook, uh, what I call a top hat meal, where I dig a hole in the ground, I put the coals down in the ground, and then I cook a, a big chunk of meat. You put it in that night when you go to sleep, you wake up in the morning, it's done, right? Right. So I, I was I was preparing the pit for this, and I had this overwhelming smell. It smelled like it smelled like death. Like it was rotten. Like so in your nose, like there's no mistaking it. It's like disgusting, makes you, makes your stomach hurt, like rot, right? Mm. And I got a whiff of it. It wasn't like constant, right? I just got a small whiff of it. And I was like, well, maybe there's a deer dead close to the camp or whatever. And I was gonna, I kind of stopped what I was doing and I walked around the perimeter of the camp, couldn't find anything and I didn't smell it anymore. So I was like, okay, well, whatever, I got to finish what I'm doing. And the other people had set up the tents and we had our uh, lounge chairs out, you know, we had the s'mores ready and stuff. We we're going to snack. And I smelled it again. And then I asked everybody else, I was like, Hey, do you guys smell that? And they're like, yeah, what is that? I was like, I bet you there's something dead, you know, near here. So we, all of us walked around pretty big perimeter. I'd say 30, maybe 40 yards around. We couldn't find anything. And I thought, okay, so I'll get up in the morning when it's daylight, because this time it was almost completely dark out. Yeah. And we sat around the campfire, nothing else happened. We we just chatted, told stories, whatever, ate our s'mores, and then we went to bed. And at the time, I don't remember 
this happening. This I recalled after, okay, just a little pre-nomer. We woke up the next morning, like, you know, normal. We walked around. Uh, we looked for things, for the smell. We looked for carcass or different things along that lines. And we, we didn't find anything, nothing. And we had planned that day to go um, up to the Kyotas, up to the pond. And this was the middle of uh, summer, right? Mm-hmm. And we we're going to go see if the beavers were in this one pond. If there were no beavers in this pond, we're going to swim in. For the record, if there are beavers in a pond, do not swim in that pond. Personal experience, life learning lesson, right? Don't do it. Um, and we went up there and we were looking around and there was no sign of any beaver anywhere. It was like, it was looking like, you know, we we're going to be able to go swimming. And we're sitting there and we're all getting into our swimsuits or whatever. And then I hear this. How do I explain it? I don't want to say growl, but I also don't want to say scream. And you know how um, you know how sometimes lions have that subsonic roar where you don't hear it, you feel it. Yes. It was like that. I didn't hear anything, but I felt it. Ultrasound. It's and I'm crazy. ultrasound. Right, right. It was fucking insane. I'm like, what, what, what's happening? And all of us at the exact same time, it hit all of us because we're all pretty close to each other right mm-hmm. and we're like and my immediate thought is bear and and where i live in ohio like the biggest bear i've ever seen was they're just smaller young black bears right right and they're not very big at that point in time and they're not really aggressive they're really skittish uh there are no like grizzly bears or anything crazy like that where i live and we're all like okay what the hell is this? And then after we had that subsonic hit or whatever you want to call it, we smelled the smell again. The raunchy, the stink, like death. And we all started getting a little freaked out. And I was like, come on, let's just go back to camp. And we went back to camp and it was a good 10, 15 minute hike back to our campsite. No more experiences. We didn't smell it again. We didn't have any of the subsonic things we didn't hear anything and we're sitting back at camp and we're like you know what the fuck was that and we were kind of paranoid at that point in time so we built uh what i call perimeter fires well like a couple of uh, smaller fires around our campsite and i kept them going all night and we were just we just stayed in the campsite because we were all legitimately scared like we were actually scared and Nothing happened uh, that night. We stayed up pretty late. I remember staying up to like four or five o'clock in the morning to like almost to the point where you could see, you know, the sun coming back up. And finally I dozed off. And then we woke up the next day. We, it was Sunday by then. We, we packed up, we got everything packed up and we got the, got the hell out of Dodge. And that alone is a pretty interesting story. But what happened was later, Months later, I started talking to my friend Joel, and he was one of the ones with us. And he's like, do you remember having that dream? And I'm like, no, what dream? He's like, well, I remember when we had that particular camping event, and I was asleep in my tent, I saw 
three lights above the tent and I felt like I was paralyzed. I couldn't move, right? And, you know, at the time I was like, no, that doesn't ring a bell. Like I, I didn't have that dream, right? That wasn't part of my uh, experience or whatever you want to call it. And I would have left it at that. But then years later, I'm talking years later, like 10, 15 years later, my ex at the time, Tony, was like, hey, do you remember that trip? And I was like, yeah. She said, you know, we went out to the pond. I was like, yeah. She's like, did you have this dream? And I was like, no. But that's funny because Joel said he had the dream. And they they both had a similar dream of where they were laying in the tent face up and they were paralyzed and there were three glowing lights above the tent. And the reason I connected the two stories together was because of the description of the night, the tent that we were in, you know, the different things. And then I, I went and I got my friend Eli and I'm like, Eli, did you have this fucking dream? He's like, yeah, dude, I, I had that dream. So I finally got us all together 10 years later. And I'm like, all right, we, we need to hash this shit out. So we sat down and we were talking about this, this story, this, this camping trip that we have, and they all had the same experience. So I was thinking, you know, why didn't I have that experience, right? I had almost all the other experiences, but I didn't have the sleep para- the, where I was paralyzed in my sleep, and I, and I don't recall seeing the lights. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was because they say in their dreams, I wasn't in the tent. None of them recall me being, we all slept in this great big, huge military style folding tent. Like there was five people, one tent, huge tent, right? And they're all like, well, in our dream, you weren't there. So, you know, I, you the, I, I don't know. When you what, fell asleep, were you the last one to fall asleep? Yes, absolutely. Positively. So, so perhaps whatever event occurred before you were asleep. It, it's possible. It's possible. Like, like I'm saying, like, um, and this, this goes into, uh, extra dimensional kind of stuff, like spirit realm kind of deal. But I could imagine that being, um, a shared experience because they were asleep and you were not like whatever it was, was tapping into, into their, their dream, so to speak. And it became a shared experience. That's what kind of makes sense to me. All right, but here's the thing with full circle, right? Uh-huh. Years later, after we all sit down and we had this conversation, they, they'd they each done their own research and discussed it and had other experiences, right? Okay. And a lot of it, uh, my buddy Eli, he went into the Marines, and he said that his experience was of seeing Bigfoot and, and during that event. And he was the only one of us that physically saw a creature, right? If right. you want to call it Bigfoot, he called it Bigfoot, right? I didn't see it. I can't say, you know, whatever. But he also said that in his experience, afterwards, he felt like it had attached to him. And that throughout his young adult life and his early military career, he would see this being periodically 
off and on at random times. So, you know, you talk about the spiritual part of it or whatever, right? Hmm. I never had any experiences like that, like ever. That wasn't uh, outside that one experience. I've never had a physical interaction. Like when I had that subsonic, I believe that's the only physical interaction I've ever had with what would I would consider a Bigfoot, right? Right. Uh, Um, Real quick to explain to chat the ultrasonic stuff. It's a sound that uh, a lot of big cats can make and other uh, other large animals that the actual sound is inaudible to us, although it can be layered upon audible sound, but it causes a reaction in the human body. Uh, sometimes it induces paralysis, uh, definitely induces anxiety, um, and, and it, it can uh, it can shut us down this 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 intense ultrasound. Yeah, and there's animals that use it to stun their prey and stuff too. Like there's plenty of evidence that, you know, what it is. But um what adds a little craziness to this story is I years later, we're talking twenty years later, I started doing my own research after I had a UFO experience. And I don't want to get off on UFOs, that's another discussion. But I had an extreme UFO experience in Kentucky, right? And in that research, I started seeing parallels with my experience in the woods when I was 17. And, you know, it's, you know, how they say you go down that rabbit hole, right? I went into all these, all this people that, okay, it's so weird that people all over the United States have a super similar experience to what I have, almost to the T. Mm Mm-hmm. People I don't know, people I'm not connected to, not people not even the same geographical location have the same experiences. Now, why is that? Like, there's a whole rabbit hole there, right? Right. So, you know, that that was my only physical... Synchronicity. ...experience with Bigfoot. And it, it seems really unique to me in the fact that it's much time that I have spent in the wilderness by myself... You know, like I've never had another experience like it. So it's really unique to me. Right. That is interesting. I haven't heard anything quite like that. Uh, To catch chat up, uh, Ninth Pond says, when I lived in Tallahassee, I helped a friend track a hunting dog that ran off the the uh, Apalachicola National Forest. I hope I said that right. The whole time uh, we were out there, it felt like something was watching us hard. Didn't see anything, but other people out there felt it too, and it was driving the dogs nuts. I've had similar experiences. The whole sensation of being watching and uh, animals going a little crazy. Uh, but Macha says, "But beaver in us makes sweet, sweet vanilla." Oh yeah, that's true. But I'm still not going to eat a beaver ass. Uh, Gasol says, "Beer farts." Ninth Pond agrees that beavers are nasty, aggressive creatures. The computer yeah, virus, uh, in regards, I think, to the sound you're trying to describe, said, uh, sounds like Wendigo. Um, um, and we were talking about Wendigo earlier, computer virus. Uh, if you if you didn't catch it, you should definitely check out the VOD. We had a lot of cool stuff to say about the Wendigo. And, and yeah, just the sound itself, like, I could, I could definitely go Wendigo. Of course, the other contexts have told us otherwise. 
uh, since you were able to post that. But uh, yeah, ultrasound, guys. Look up ultrasound. It's a really interesting phenomenon. And something uh, I want to tie up into that story before I forget, Exarkin, uh-huh. is later on in my research that I found similar reports of what I experienced back when I was 17 in this area. There's there's a lot of reports, which is crazy. And what I mean by similarities is people having events where they experience a Bigfoot type sighting and it's directly tied into a UFO sighting almost simultaneously. Okay. So like lights in the sky kind of UFO sightings. Yeah, we see lights and then we experience Bigfoot or we experience Bigfoot and then we see lights. Like there's two type of events, right? Right. But yeah, that's similar thing. So that makes me, again, think more of the spiritual. But wouldn't it be interesting if Bigfoot was an alien? <laughs> another another rabbit hole to go down. Um, Rascal, have you had any actual personal cryptid experiences you want to share? Nothing I can, nothing I could I can put definitively put my finger on. Um, I've uh, seen a pretty large swath of uh, of North America and spent a lot of time uh, camping um, and, and things like that and. There's stuff I just can't put my I, I can't I can't even begin to explain, and nor could I really begin to tie it into a lot of these things, like you know, especially like Bigfoot or whatever. But I've had a lot of feelings, and I think that we've all had at one time or another that feeling like we are being actively watched uh, by something, uh, not like you know. On, and I'm not talking about Big Brother, uh, you know, listening in on your conversations or anything like that. Um, but again, it goes back to that very primal feeling of being out in nature where you're just kind of like, hmm. And they, they, we do know that that whole, like, that third eye uh, concept of people know when they're being watched. Like, and the hair stands up on the back of your neck and it's, it's not one of those things where that, cause that's, that's a natural defense mechanism. And I've been out in the woods in a great many places or out in the, the more wild areas of America and things like that. And I have, I have been painfully aware of that, that feeling, you know, I grew up hiking in the foothills and mountains of California uh, where there were mountain lion sightings and stuff like that. And uh, you you become aware of when you're you're being watched, and it's like I don't really think about it because I was never thinking about like you know supernatural stuff, but you kind of start like you'll just kind of be minding your own business or in your own headspace, and you'll be walking along, and then every once in a while I would just like kind of stop and I would just get that you get that feeling, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know you're alone. There's no other, there can't be any, possibly any other vehicles. There's no one else on foot. You're in the middle of a national forest and you just stop. And you do, and, and, 
and you just kind of go, what, what is that? What, 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 what is that that I'm like, I'm being, you know, like, and you start, I would start looking around. I've had this feeling several, several times where it's like, okay, like, I know I'm being watched, but it's just a question of by what. Right. And, you know, I would love to spend more time up in the, the cascades and stuff like that and, and dive, you know, kind of deeper into this. But, uh, yeah, I'm not willing to discount anything, but like as far as like firsthand, like you know, weird things, or creatures, nothing that I that I don't think is that I can't explain. You know, no, nothing like that. Just more of a feeling of like a presence, if you wanna, if that's what you wanna call it. Right. Overall. Gotcha. Yeah, that feeling of being watched, or sometimes it's so intense it almost feels like you're being hunted, is is something that I don't know. It makes me when it when it kicks in, I'm like, is this real? Am I being paranoid? Uh, like it it really does a number on me sometimes, but um, it's something that I think is is pretty instinctual. It's pretty ingrained in a lot of people, and only people who are so fully removed from any kind of actual danger in their lives, I think they're the only one that lose that. I think the rest of us have have that deeply ingrained. Really interesting concept. The Force, man. Oh, um, there's a billion other cryptids out there. Um, from a lot of places, uh, really interesting, really crazy off the wall ones, like uh, in Loveland, Ohio, the Frogman. Uh, it's like a four foot tall creature from the the Black Lagoon kind of thing. Um, there's uh, apparently a horse sized octopus in Oklahoma that people <laughs> talk about, like. There's some really crazy out the wall, interesting stuff uh, out there for people to look at if you're into cryptids. Um, I'm going to share one last real quick, interesting Sasquatch story that I heard on a podcast that I really enjoy. And I think you guys should check out called Monster Among- Monsters Among Us. Um, it's a it's a call in show. People will will leave uh, their ex- their experiences with cryptids and stuff in a message and the host, um, Derek Hayes, will will play them on air and then discuss them briefly. But one of them was an interesting one um, about a guy, a hunter, uh, and I believe the southern United States, I could be wrong there, but uh, definitely in the U.S., that was up in a tree stand. He fell and hit a bunch of branches on the way down. Um, he ended up, he had broken or really damaged his back and he was laying, uh, helpless in a bough of a tree and to cut to the chase, he says what he thinks describes as perhaps a female Bigfoot, uh, comes and pulls him out of the tree gently, uh, and forces him to drink her breast milk, which he described as being nasty and gross. Uh, and another larger creature like Bigfoot was yelling at her or, or grunting at her. 
and she eventually just let him drop, set him down on the ground, and they both left. And later, his friends who knew where he was hunting went and, and helped him and got him to the hospital. And an update to the story says that he healed incredibly fast. So I don't know if I believe the story, but I find it to be a very interesting story as far as Bigfoot stories go. And uh, if it is a spiritual creature, uh, then maybe he was he was given aid. And maybe that's something really interesting. Um, yeah. But otherwise, Bigfoot breast milk i'm gonna have to pass <laughs> you know uh i think that science needs to embrace the the healing powers of the sasquatch uh booby milk that's what needs to happen man, you know, i reddit would so, have a filled day with that if imagine if if you would that that the the big feet bigfoot are are real physical creatures and that their breast milk did have incredible healing factors. How fucked are they as a species? Yeah. 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 You're already incredibly rare, and then it turns out that, like, you're also incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Man. Here we go. I, I can just see the Rule 34 uh, <laughs> oh. uh, Squatch uh, oh. art coming out now. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, oh no. lordy. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, basically, uh, basically, there's a lot of cryptids out there, and I think there's enough for us to have another one of these particular topics, uh, maybe a few more down the road. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed this format. I think the next one we're gonna do, it'll either be ghosts or UFOs, and down the line, I definitely want to do a conspiracy conversation. So hopefully, these guys will join me again. Hopefully, you guys are into this. Uh, if you guys like this podcast type setup, uh, if you're interested in these topics and you're enjoying yourself, please make sure we know. Um, that's the only way I know to keep doing a thing is if you tell me you like it. Um, before we leave, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add or any personal plugs or anything you want to say? Uh, I will say that I could discuss longer at at another time about different experiences I had while I lived in Kentucky. Um, Some of them are definitely Sasquatchy, if that's a word, Sasquatchy. Squatchy. It's real Squatchy. Uh, Squatch. They call it Squatching now. That's a thing. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot more discussion to be had. I, I had a, this was, this was fun. I enjoyed this. Appreciate it. Uh, Rascal and Sarkin. It was a good time. Yeah, the uh, the UFOs and like the 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 ghost stuff is a little more my forte, um, and uh, I've got uh, plenty of uh, of uh, stories about that stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's really about it. Nice. Well, I had a blast. This was fantastic uh i love this I, I love talking with uh with people who love talking about a subject and i love uh interacting with with you chat uh while we're doing it this was really fun for me i hope you guys enjoyed it as well uh again let us know um definitely uh hit us hit, hit me up in the discord um about what you're enjoying 
Um, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll 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 come back to this. We'll we'll hit this up. Uh, I'm gonna see if there's anybody we can raid real quick. Yes, we're gonna raid Russ Eladek playing some Warframe. Um, I'll let you guys know when the next podcast, streamcast, whatever you want to call this is, is going to be and uh, what the topic's going to be. Definitely hit us up with suggestions because that'll be fun. So we're going to go ahead and raid. Please go on with the raid. Let them know it's an X-Pack raid. Give them all the love that you've given me and these guys today and uh, make their day bright. Thanks for hanging out, guys. I will catch you on Wednesday. All right. Oh,